0: Uh, for those who have been part of us for a little while, you know we're doing this uh, series on uh, called On This Rock. Uh, and again, uh, the drama's powerful, the testimony, uh, fantastic. So far what I'm learning about, as I look at Matthew's Gospel, you know, Jesus is building his church, no matter what we see. He is doing an awesome work, has always done so, will always continue to do so. But church has its ups and downs, as we saw with the reality of the drama. But it, the end of the day, it's got to be always what our hearts are doing. How is God working inside of us? So let me pray before we jump in. Heavenly Father, you are a great and glorious God. Search our hearts. Lead us. Speak to us today. Help us truly be your people. Your people in this place, seeking to impact others around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me try and get us thinking uh, as we jump through today, the King's Challenge. Uh, Don't answer this yet, Uh, I will answer it. Can we be too zealous for God? Is it humanly possible that we can place values in some things that are so right in our own eyes, so correct... So based on all sorts of things, tradition, how you do things, that we can be so zealous and know that, well, God's in this because I believe he is and that has an impact in all sorts of ways. Uh, and so I want us to think about that as we go through this whole section that Ruth wrote out captures a dramatic confrontation with Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, they've come out to truly confront Jesus and it's a really it's one of these high points in the gospel where you actually, people carry with them this sense of superiority. Uh, a book that uh, uh, came out about five, six years ago, Accidental Pharisees uh, by uh, Larry Osborne and I'm very mindful, whenever you talk about hypocrites or Pharisees, it's so easy for me to put myself in that spot. Because you hang out church long enough, gee, you've got to be careful of how you live and how you speak and how you do things. That's the reality. Uh, Larry says this, so here's a question he wants to ask. Do I have my own thank God I'm not like them list? You might be thinking that now, for example, who's not here? And if so, who's on it? Who's on your list? Uh, If you're passionate about justice, the needs of the poor and orphans, you probably struggle with people who aren't. Your temptation will be right to write them off as uninformed, selfish, cold-hearted. Don't fall for it, he says. If you live green, care for the planet, recycle and ride your bike to work, you'll be tempted to look down on those who don't. If you spend more time than most thinking deeply about theology, read books written by dead guys and do your Bible study in original Hebrew and Greek, you'll be sorely tempted to look down on those who don't. And those who think the last book in the Old Testament was written by an Italian barista named Malachi. The same goes if you identify yourself as spirit-led, missional, incarnational, gospel-centered, or some other current Christian buzzword. You'll find it hard not to look down on those who don't even know there's a buzzword to conform to. He goes on. He says, I have no idea what tempts you to feel superior. I have no idea what kind of people you look down on. You've got no idea what kind of people I sinfully look down on. We all do it. We all have our lists. He suggests you need to get rid of the lists. And of course, as we come to this morning, the reality is the Pharisees had a list. And I'm always really reluctant to just bag out those who've gone before us. It's like Peter, it's so easy to say, this Peter, this disciple, the guy's mad. It's so easy to say. Well, if I was there, if we were there, we would have got it correct, done it right, and that's why I like the language of accidental Pharisee, that I too, we too, can live a life in that space. The Pharisees indeed had their list of those who would criticise, and guess what? Who was number one on that list? It's Jesus and his disciples, um, the Pharisees, and just like the scribes, they were the religious teachers of the day. In their eyes, the good guys. So let's jump in because the issue that they have to struggle with Jesus, I want it said loud and louder, is tradition. Tradition matters, no matter how big or small the tradition is. And uh, when you ask a question about, well, are you doing the right thing? These guys want to look back at tradition, the things that always been done in a certain way. Um, and so this is tied in with that. Uh, the, fallacy, the Pharisees, in one sense, had developed a program to mass economic wealth in the temple uh, and allowed, in this story, a spoilt son to get away with something that really went against God's word. Uh, and so Jesus points this out to them. And we can all get caught up in this wonderful word, tradition. It doesn't take much to Google things about traditional weddings, doesn't take much to think about weddings in your own world. Uh, you know, do I wear white? I actually didn't wear white, just in case you're wondering. Um, who do I invite? Who's on the list? Who's not? On the, where do they sit? You know, well, tradition has it, does it? And whose tradition is it that does what? Weddings are one of those great moments in time. I've seen enough of those uh, to make me think, <laughs> don't do this. But I it's too late. <laughs> wow, there's so many things we place. Conditionally on others based on the things that we think are right and proper and religious communities and no wow we can even be worse i did like uh, this little story the year is 2192 2192 the british prime minister visits brussels to ask for an extension of the brexit deadline <laughs> no one remembers where this tradition origi- originated but every year it attracts many tourists from around the world Apologies to Simon down there who's a wonderful English man. And some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jer- Jerusalem and asked, so they come a long way. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Wow, if I could list the number of times I've said to our kids or our mother, have you washed your hands before you come to the dinner table? Yes, show me. Yeah, that doesn't look like they're washed, but all the world's going to fall apart at that point. And so, this, because it is such a profound law in the Pharisees' mind, is really a big deal. And they came along uh, to address Jesus and attack him. You know, why do your disciples? Because the implication is okay, if your disciples and your followers do it, that means you're encouraging it, Jesus, you're teaching it. What sort of a teacher are you to encourage such a thing when you break all the laws and the commandments? Hand washing, one of those extra biblical traditions. You actually had to trickle water down just below, uh, just before the collar here. And then you had to do it to the other hand and wash that. And if you didn't do that, oh, the world would fall apart. They are not here to give Jesus a pastoral visit. Hi, Jesus, how are you going? How are things happening? their concern is firstly that Jesus' name is spreading widely and that's a concern. And of course, as a result of that concern, hostility is growing. You know, we're in Matthew 15, so about the middle of the Gospel. And in their mind, tradition could easily be placed at the same level of the Word of God, right there. Um, and more than that, probably, they had this profound idea that of course they were richly blessed because they had the law. And as the saying goes, heaven help anyone if you didn't follow tradition. Maybe some of you had arguments in the last week. You know, They tell us it's Christmas is next month. Christmas is another time to stop and honour, they say, tradition. Real tree, false tree. All those who like a real tree, hand up. All those who like a plastic tree, hand up. <laughs> All the best with that. I live with you. But because they tradition, they loved it so much, they'd study the detail, they'd value the detail. Every conversation would be based around that. Uh, and you can get caught up in arguments that don't matter. Have you ever been caught up in an argument that doesn't matter? Yes, absolutely. I think I have one every week, if not every day. I remember the classic one years ago, uh, one of my sons dyed his hair blonde. And I said to Rhonda, oh, what's he done? Why why would he do such a thing? And graciously, as we know all wives are gracious, it's all right, honey, it will grow out. Oh, I didn't think about that. You know, we get caught up in things that don't really matter. And this thing about washing your hands uh, is profound in their mind. And so the Pharisees want to point out, to Jesus, this tradition carries weight in their mind. And so they're hearing this and thinking about this. The disciples are there. And they're probably thinking, I wonder what Jesus is going to say about this. And in their mind, they're probably saying, Jesus, whatever you say, can you say it with tenderness? Just say it with tenderness, will you? And so as he goes in? Okay, Jesus replied. Of course, like a good teacher, he didn't actually answer. Their question, this is his style, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother. With it, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So you can have a sense here, if you've ever gone through Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is building up to a fairly direct comment to them. Maybe the disciples felt, Jesus, look, you know, just handle this well, deal with it well. Uh, But they are concerned and so Jesus directly speaks to them and ties it in with a comment that goes way back To Exodus 20, Exodus 21, about honouring your father and mother. And the idea behind this is a simple one that uh, you're supposed to honour your mum and dad and you're supposed to care for them. And you're putting the tradition of setting aside funds for the temple above the commandment of God, above the word of God. And there's a problem with that. If tradition is placed higher than the value of the word of God, there's a problem with that. It should never be like that. No matter how valuable you think the tradition is. Now, Jesus is not bagging out all tradition, by the way, some who just just understand that. Some writers would say, look, of course, some traditions are what is called morally neutral. They have no impact on anything. They're just things that you do. But if you get caught up in life, as the Pharisees were about saying, well, this is really, really important. This is so important and your disciples are not following through. It's a problem because you're going against the word of God. And so the way he speaks in verse 3, you complain about others, but have you actually looked in the mirror lately? You know, so he, he, Judaism itself strongly stressed honouring one's parents and the obligation to care for them. Uh, many of us who have gotten older know, I suppose the word might be burdened, what it's like to care for our elderly parents and have to be in that space and ask questions about how they're going and what they're doing. Uh, Jewish teachers would often legally debate and debate and debate these things that didn't really matter. And yet, Jesus speaks to them directly. Why are you so concerned with these things? It shouldn't surprise you, he's already uh, said some things only a few chapters ago in Matthew 12. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognised by its fruit. You brood of vipers! Great phrase, I don't know if you've uttered it recently to any other group of leaders. He's already said that in Matthew 12. It shouldn't surprise you that once you get to Matthew 15, he's going to have an extra word. He's going to say it again in Matthew 22 and 23. Uh, It has always been what happens in the heart that matters. You can stand and say all sorts of things and your heart can be far from God. You can promise all sorts of things and your heart can be far from God. Uh, And that's the issue. Jesus is concerned about what they're trying to do with things that have little value and so he absolutely gets stuck in. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you and that goes back to Isaiah 29. These people honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. This is the first time in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus had dared use that word hypocrite and I don't know that I need to explain to you that much what that word means. Say one thing, do another. Don't follow through on what is going on. You hypocrites. It has already been said from days gone by about those things that matter. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Jesus quotes those words and they're guilty because of what is on their lips. There's no deed or action that's following through. They're just saying lots of stuff. In fact, Jesus makes the point, Isaiah's already prophesied about you hundreds of years ago. And so he's warning them about valuing and following human tradition without understanding the word of God and worship me in vain. Uh, they live with this so-called outward appearance of purity. And we know what that can be like and yet inwardly, man, they are corrupt and sinful just like all of us. You can say lots of things. You can say the right thing without meaning it, can't you? Yes. Isn't it always the heart and mouth? Despite their good words, they lack good works. What we speak, and Jesus has addressed this again and again. The things that come out of our mouth are directly connected to the heart. The good and the bad. The things we should say, the things we shouldn't have said. Why did I say that? I should pull back from that. Uh, the Pharisees, though, frequently determined morality from taking from tradition by demanding that we should value that even often above biblical principles. And so Jesus, what he's doing, he's taking all these ethical principles out of tradition and placed them firmly straight into the word of God. Those issues, they worship me in vain. You hypocrites, we know the truth. We know, and I know this because I concede in myself. So I've said that first, haven't I? Yes. I can come to church, praise the Lord, hands up, sing loudly, and my heart and mind can be on a different planet and no one would know, would you? And guess what? If that happens to me, it can happen to you. Not that it ever has. Not that it would. But it's so easy to come here. It's so easy to stand on the platform and speak like I'm doing this morning or lead or sing or dance or drum or play. And to go through those motions and to think, wow, deep down my heart is in another place. Honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. I mean, we all know there's no substitute for genuine heartfelt devotion and you'll all experience that in all sorts of ways and you'll all express that in all sorts of ways. You know, I've been around church long enough to know that some people like to raise their hands because that's how they express themselves. Praise the Lord for that. Other people sit there firmly and think, why are they raising their hands? I don't like that. I don't like the style, the music, the sound, the volume, the backdrop on this rock, the drum kit. Don't get me started on the drum kit. You know, can't you? You know, it's, it's hard to imagine it, that we have drummers in church life. Wow. You know, praise the Lord that because uh, uh, we have wonderful drummers, you know, now that I've touched the drumstick, I've just defiled myself. Oh. So thankfully all drummers have this special bottle they have to wash their hands with just so if a guitarist touches them they don't defile themselves. That's how ridiculous it could be. You laugh. We at 8 o'clock communion every Sunday. Why we use this to wash our hands before we give communion. Praise the Lord because we don't want to infect them. But imagine if that became the rule and that you saw someone on the platform who didn't wash Oh, and you need to remove them from the platform. They've not used this. so it's, it's good to laugh at it because you think, you know, the reality is it wouldn't take much for us to design and develop things that we say, it's the rule, break it, you're gone. You know, it's like the video about life, church life can be hard. I wonder who makes church life hard. Don't respond. You know, so Jesus is passionate about this. And, and look... You may not get this in the sweep of Matthew 15, but this is a sweeping, major comment from Jesus that wraps up and bundles hundreds of laws into one little thing about the heart and about devotion. And that really, it goes further than that. It calls into question all their worship and teaching. So you, you can imagine how they're feeling about that. Um, and so Jesus explains it in... Private, but now he goes further and explains it in public. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Uh, you know, this defilement is through contact with someone else, something else. And Jesus is saying, No, it's, it's, it's what comes out, it's not what goes in. He does have to express this later on. Look, and I think this point, to be honest, is actually made by uh, a former president during the week, regardless of your political persuasion, by President Barack Obama. He said this, uh, are you thinking, well actually he said the word woke, I find it's a strange word but anyhow, if you need to Google what it is you can do that later yourself. Do you think you're woke or affecting change because you call things out on social media? Uh, Mr Obama took aim at those using social media as a form of activism. He also urged young leaders in America not to make the same mistakes as those who are now in charge. Mr Obama suggested that young people needed to actually do things to cause change, not just call others out on social media. Now, it resonated with me, that could be because I'm old, but the world is messy, he said. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. People who are fight, you're fighting with may love their kids and share certain things. It's like, yeah, that's true. One danger I see among young people, particularly particular on college campuses, is that I do get a sense among certain young people... And this is accelerated by social media that the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people and that's enough. It's like, oh, you just said that's not activism. If all you're doing is casting stones, you're probably not going to get too far. It's just So Jesus, I think, has a... You know Don't get caught up in this world of what you think is right or proper. And so the disciples hearing this, they're thinking, you know, Jesus, you you should have used tact. You know, the last thing you want is any religious leader speaking the truth and speaking out loud about what is right or wrong, surely. Because we've seen it in our own culture, they sit back there, so what's the disciples? Oh, then the disciples came to him and said, oh, do you know the Pharisees were offended? When they heard this. Now I don't know whether Jesus, Oh, God, I, I'm sorry, I, I really, gee, I didn't mean it. Look, can we just backtrack? I'll take it back. Highly unlikely. And I think not only is it highly unlikely, I think when, you, when you're on the road to crucifixion, I'm guessing it really doesn't matter by now what you're going to say about what others are doing and how wrong they are. He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted we pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. That doesn't surprise us, I hope. You know, speaking like this can alienate others. They're not planting in God's vineyard. <laughs> They're the blind leading the blind. And they will face the judgment of God. And we don't want to hear that and my guess is you don't necessarily want me to call out sin but what if I don't call out your sin? Not only will I stand before the maker and say, why didn't you call out the sin but you'll stand before our maker and say, why didn't you do something with your sin? It's major issues. I'm not surprised they're offended. You shouldn't be surprised they're offended. Instead of of Jesus apologising, he actually declares the rejection of them. Their rejection. Uh, You can just write down Isaiah 60. Isaiah 61. Go and read about why he's quoting this. You claim to be the people of God, but you are not. You make oaths, you make promises, you make it harder, and you do not follow through on what you should. And you will, there will come a day when you'll be condemned before God. It's like a full stop. And Jesus is not going to back away from that. I don't think he's concerned that... He's shaming the influential teachers of the day. You can go back and if you're into Matthew's Gospel, you, know, you might remember Matthew 7. that, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your eye? Why are you so good at pointing out their fault and you don't even acknowledge what's going on in your own life? You know, Jesus has contempt for these teachers. Leave them. They're blind guides have nothing to do with them. If you follow them and follow where they're going, and we see that in contemporary world and contemporary culture, if you want to follow them, that's going to take you down a certain path. Don't. Don't. If the blind lead the blind, both will soon fall into a pit. Uh, You are never going to be thanked for speaking out. Never going to be thanked. No matter who you are, no matter what, you're going to be criticised and you'll probably suffer some form of uh, persecution. You know, Stephen in Acts 7, how did he do it? Stephen Acts 7, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, you are just like your ancestors, you resist the Holy Spirit. And their response, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him, they couldn't. Polycarp, one of the early disciples, are going way, way back, might have been someone who was responsible for putting together the New Testament because of his refusal to honour tradition and burn incense to the Roman emperor. What happened to him? He was sentenced to burn at the stake. History says that the flames didn't kill him, so they stabbed him to death. John Wycliffe, a name many of you might know, persecuted for his stand against papal tradition and authority. And you can go way back, it just again... And again, Tyndale and the list is endless. Isaiah 3, very early in the book of Isaiah. My people, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from the path. What do you mean to the leaders, he says, by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord Almighty. This is not new when Jesus says you cannot do this. Their hearts are far from me. And we need to realise that we can be in that same space. Just speak the truth. Is what he does and Jesus illustrates this with a a list of things. And many of you might, uh, it's one of those fridge magnet type verses, Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, what's it say about the heart? The heart is deceitful above all things. We have to watch our hearts. And so our dear disciples say this. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Uh, If Jesus isn't pulling any punches with the leaders, guess what? He's not pulling any punches with the disciples either. Are you still so dull? You've been hanging around church life for and you don't get it still? Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Do you need me to explain what that means? You get it, don't you? That which goes in one way. Thank you. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The heart, the source of true character, the source of who you are, the true source of your reflection, And when we think about, you know, commitment day and gift day and ministry and ministry expo and the Sowing Seeds book and the work of the ministry team and the work of everyone involved, it's it's a heart reflection. It's one of the great things that Fig Tree Church, in particular, over year in year out, has worked on. Our hearts need to make sure align with God. We need to make sure. And you guys who know this more than I do, you know, our generosity to God, our compassion for others, we get it right and we get it wrong. It's not as if we're perfect. As uh, we shared, you know, the old saying, you know, as soon as you join the perfect church, guess what? It no longer becomes perfect. You know, Jesus is transferring this issue about defilement, outward defilement, to the inner life. In one instant, our problems are internal. Can we be too zealous for God? Uh, Just in case you're wondering what the answer is, uh, the answer is yes. We can place value on things that have nothing to do with scripture. We can hold on to things, whether it be I've been around church for too long, placement of chairs, uh, placement of stage, uh, a million things that we say this is so crucial and this is so important. As uh, the writer John Piper reflected on this, he asked this question. He said, let's start with a confession, a sober, honest, non-judgmental, straightforward, humble, realistic question. And he said he believes that we're all emotionally crippled in some way. I read that and I thought, yep, in some way. We're all, and when we say all, you know I'm in that space. So let me just ask this a question. There's so many here. How many people here today grew up in the perfect home? Raise your hands. (laughs) Shane, you can't force your son to raise his hand. (laughs) I'm sure Levi wants to, but he's just not sure. How many people here grew up in a home where there were some issues and things had to be worked out? Many of us, most of us. (laughs) <laughs> in some way we, we, there's things that are not right in our lives um, none of us are the people we need to be. none of us praise God the way we praise God we are fallen no matter who we are our age, our background, our culture and I suppose the point is as you think about Jesus' challenge and these words these terrible words of being hypocritical Offending others and all those things, and Father, I can't be satisfied in how I am today. I can't be satisfied where I am today. We must be called. We must call to do more. We've got to turn our eyes to Jesus. We need to realise that Jesus is in love with us. The lover of our souls is a song. We need to realise that it's Jesus who holds us tight. We need to realise that Jesus takes us from the miry clay and places us on the rock, on Him. That's what we need to understand. And we need to realise that in all times and in all places we've got to keep turning our eyes to Jesus. Our hope, we need to, our hope is not based on what we do. Our hope is based on what he has done. There cannot be anything good about a feel-good Christianity that doesn't challenge people. It just cannot be. There needs to be a robust face that is challenged to God. I need to change. The gospel calls me to change. And neither is there anything joyful or profound in sticking to traditions that are not balanced with the word of God that results in some zeal that puts down other people. That can't be right either. We must, as we lift our evangelistic efforts, do it with mercy and grace and accept that people are different. Uh, we must pray for growth in our local community as we extend love and compassion to others. But above all, as the kingdom of God continues to break in here and beyond, we must realise that God is doing a great work as he builds his community, as he builds his people, as he builds a new church on him, as we keep our eyes fixed on him. Amen? Amen. Because no matter who you are, whether you can see me or not, it's totally relevant, isn't it? Yes. You must see the cross. You must see Jesus. No matter who you are, your background, where you've come from, it's Jesus that's loved you. It's Jesus who's given his life for you and it's Jesus who has a purpose and a plan has been shared for you. May it be that as we launch into a whole new decade, we start to realise again and again that it's his church, his rock, his future, his building and we do all these things because our hearts are turned towards him and our eyes are firmly fixed on Christ, our great Redeemer, Let me pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for everyone gathering. Lord, you are a great and awesome God. May it be in years to come we look back at moments like this being reminded that not only we are called to turn our eyes to Christ and him and not those things that hinder that, but indeed you love us because your word tells us that. It is firm, it is secure, and it does not change with the whims and waves of this world. And for that we give you thanks. And all God's people said, Amen.